0: This episode is brought to you by Case Filters. Look, I travel the world with my camera, and I can use any photography filter I like. And trust me, I've tried them all. But I only trust my photos to Case Filters. That's Case with a K, K K-A-S-E. Why? Well, they're made with premium materials, HD optical glass, shockproof, no color cast, unlike some other filters I've used, round and square filter designs, magnetic systems, Filter holders, adapters, step-up rings, everything I need so I never miss a moment. And now my listeners can get 10% off the Case Filters Amazon page when they visit beyondthelens.fm forward slash case and use coupon code burnaby10. Check them out. Beyondthelens.fm forward slash case. Use burnaby10 at checkout for 10% off your Case Filters Amazon order. Case Filters, capture with confidence. Hi, I'm Richard Burnaby, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Lens, where I speak with smart and inspiring people from around the world about photography, the arts, travel, conservation, entrepreneurship, and creative culture. In this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Tom Smith professor at Brigham Young University, and previously a wildlife research ecologist for the National Park Service in southwest Alaska. His primary area of research is human-wildlife conflicts involving all three species of North American bears. He's also done research on Indian sloth bears, elephants, and mountain sheep. This conversation is essentially how not to get mauled by a bear, what you should always do, and what you should never do, why the species of bear matters how to manage a bear encounter, what to do if one charges, and lastly, what to do if you are being mauled. This is all for education and safety, the safety for your sake and the bears, and not about sensationalizing bear attacks. Attacks and maulings are very, very rare, but they do occur. I love bears. I want to see them thrive. Wilderness without bears, at least here in North America, is not real wilderness, at least not to me. Bears have huge personalities, charisma, and might very well be my spirit animal. And for the most part, they just want to be left alone, and we need to learn to coexist with them. And so now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Tom Smith. Please enjoy. Dr. Smith, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, My pleasure. It's good to have you. Yeah, it's good to be here. This is from your official webpage at BYU regarding your research interests. Quote, wildlife human conflicts, particularly involving all three species of North American bears and mountain sheep, unquote. (laughs) So, yeah. so I don't know if, the, if that's um, it, the mountain sheep includes the wildlife uh, human conflicts or not, or just and mountain sheep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I have done a lot of years of work with mountain sheep, and probably to update that a little bit, um, I do work with sloth bears in India and elephants in India and conflicts with those. So it's a little broader than that, but the main focus has been North American uh, bears.
0: Let's just go ahead and establish your credentials and expertise in this area. Here's your chance to talk about you. Who is Hello. Dr. Tom Smith?
1: Well, I'm um let's see, half my career's been as a federal research scientist for the the you know, the United States government, focused uh, wholly on bears and human bear interactions. The other half of the career has been um, I've I left the government back in 2006, came here to Brigham Young University, where <clears throat> I have a little more free time, a little more latitude to um, get out, enjoy the field. And actually, I spend more time in Alaska at a cabin I own there than when I lived in Alaska because <laughs> the feds keep you busy. So it's uh, I'm still able to do that. So I've been doing bears since 1992 and had done mountain sheep caribou and but prior to that for other degrees so yeah it's been it's been a great great journey
0: and when you were working with the federal government what were you doing
1: uh at that time i was doing polar black and brown bear research with a focus on human bear safety um you know being safe in bear habitat also analyzing the effects or the lack thereof of uh, tourism on bear populations, that kind of thing. And then on the North Slope with polar bears, um, looking at ways we can minimize the impacts of oil exploration and production on the polar bears in that region.
0: And why were you drawn to this area of study?
1: Well, like probably a lot of your listeners, I just... uh, the best uh, parts of my life are outdoors. And to be able to combine a career of outdoor work with that love has just been a really wonderful thing. So the fact that I ended up with bears, uh, this happens a lot where what you do is you obtain through your many years of college, kind of a toolkit. We might call it a wildlife sciences toolkit. So I could study caribou, bighorn, bears, elephants, whatever. The, The basic tools are the same and you know you have to specialize in the literature then to become an expert in any one animal but but so when i was hired on as a bear person at katmai national park um my skill set was primarily with um you know bighorns unglets, um, uh but i immediately found myself working with bears and that that's um something you start studying hard and fast because these aren't ungulates um, And herbivores, these are potential predators um, that, as you know, can can be very um, costly in making mistakes with.
0: Right. So let's talk a little about bear safety. Many of our listeners are outdoor enthusiasts, hikers, backpackers, wildlife photographers, landscape photographers maybe, working and playing in bear country. And I'm specifically, at least for now, talking about grizzly country. Greater Yellowstone region, Glacier, Banff, up the Canadian Rockies into Alaska. So, one of my listeners say, photographer perhaps might be getting up tomorrow morning for sunrise in Bear Country, hitting the trail before dawn Mm -hmm. in the dark, alone, moving quickly, (laughs) moving quickly to avoid you know missing that golden light. Yes, lots of no nos there, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. You've crossed a few bright lines, but that's okay. What are a few things he or
0: she could do to lessen the odds of an unfortunate encounter with a grizzly?
1: Uh, probably that person there could stay in bed. That <laughs> <hope>. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I think it's, it, uh, let's make a couple things. Uh, bear safety is, is really simple. We could end this in the next three minutes, <laughs> this conversation. I hope to have you a little longer than that. Yeah, no, I'm on. But number one, and I'm very adamant about this. You have no business being in bear country without a bear deterrent. Now, that could be bear spray, which has a very well-proven track record. We're talking the high 90 percentile for effectiveness. And for those failures, <clears throat> doesn't mean the person got mauled. It means that in most cases, the bear simply did not uh, abandon its, um, its, its um, behavior which might be hanging around a camp or being, I would call it, menacingly curious. So bear spray is a very good go-to. Number two, for those people, and they are few, who are capable with handguns or rifles in combat situations, uh, I would say a gun is a very good deterrent as well. And uh, it just depends. Um, interestingly, our national federal laws say you can carry a gun in a national park, but it's illegal to discharge it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like bear spray, expressly forbidden to be used on humans. But uh, let me tell you, somebody's going to rob me and I have a can of bear spray. They've got a real problem. So, I mean, so number one, you have no business being out there without being able to tell a bear no if things turn uh, in the wrong direction. Okay, so that's number one. Is Do we need number two and three? <laughs>
0: As many as possible for my crowd.
1: Okay, the second most important thing people can do, and I have looked at thousands of these incidents. So what you get through analyzing thousands of human bear conflicts just in North America, you look for, out of this chaotic interactions, you look for sort of out of the noise, a signal that will come out of that, a consistent sort of thread that weaves through these one is that they're soloists. Um, so a very simple thing you can do is as soon as you add two, three, four people, the probability of a conflict goes down uh, very steeply. Very easy to explain that. Bears are risk evaluators. They see two or more people and it's an unfair fight and they go away. Mm-hmm. Now, I have people jumping out of the, you know, the dark recesses. no. I know, you know, they want to argue. They say, no, I know where four people were. And I go, yeah, I know that story. They all ran like scared chickens and the bear sequentially eliminated each one. That's one scenario. The other scenario is, yeah, there's 20 Boy Scouts spread out 100 yards each on a trail because they're doing what little kids do, which is racing. And the first kid runs around a corner, runs into a, a mother bear, two cubs, that's a group of one. That's not a group of 20. Mm-hmm. So hiking is a group. I call a group, any, any number of people who can have a conversation, that's a group. Uh, so, Cause people say is a hundred yards apart, still a group. No, it's not. So hiking is a group and then telegraphing your presence as needed. Um, I was in Denali once and a guy came across the meadow and he was singing opera, and uh, he didn't need to worry <laughs> about bears. I was going to kill him, so I mean, because I'm out there to enjoy nature. I don't want to hear this guy, right. <laughs> you know. And I'm sure he was doing it to, to you know, keep bears away. But do it uh, in a uh, as-needed basis. When you're in big open country, you don't want to be making noise. But let's say I'm in some of the places I've been in Alaska. I'm descending down to a salmon stream. Believe me, I'm talking louder. And projecting, telegraphing that I am coming. We actually did an experiment with that that was, uh, it kind of makes me smile because when I put the sticks in my hand, okay, gentlemen, draw your sticks, um, I got the short stick, which meant I won, which was good. The losers had to walk through, it was a pair of guys, actually, Dr. Stephen Herrero from Canada, who's uh, probably the preeminent bear human conflict person. Steve and another person, there task was to walk from point A to B through an area we knew there was probably a hundred grizzly bears. <laughs> so yeah, it was, wow. it was like, uh, IEDs in Iraq, you know? So they, they go down through this forest. Their mission was to go from A to B making no noise. And they had a, they had a walkie talkie when they got to the other end, the breathless voice on the other end said, I'm never doing that again," <laughs> I said. "What happened?" And they said, "Bear after bear, they jumped up off their their day beds, huffing and ran off." Well, that's cat my. That's what they do, and that's why we did that.
0: Right, uh, but the you didn't do that in Glacier, Yellowstone, or Denali,
1: and not a wise choice. No. no, and we can get to that if you wish. Bears are different regionally yeah. in the way they interact with people. So then I did it with the other guy the next day. We just had a general conversation. Occasionally, we clap our hands a little bit and yell, hey, bear, just project out. We never saw a bear. (laughs) So uh, we just wanted an actual hands-on experience showing these things are more than willing to accommodate, but they do not accommodate surprise because in their evolutionary history, a surprise is almost always a predator trying to kill you. That's why they surprise you. So these bears, I think, just like the reflexes that humans have on many different things, reflexively they go all in fury wise and that's why people get so badly hurt Um, and interestingly enough to my point i have record after record after record where this has happened the person's on the ground completely incapacitated the bears seem to gather their wits huffing sitting there then they wander off so clearly predation is not part of that they were frightened um which goes to another little point If by some chance that happened, do not move. You know, we have a position face down, protect the neck, don't move. I've seen people who have moved, bam, bears back on them. And we had uh, a record of one woman. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I can't put myself in her body. She did this five times. She went from being just slapped around to severely mauled. You've got to let them figure it out and then move on. So anyway, that's third thing. So we had uh, bear, you know, deterrent hike as a group. Project yourself. Those are all very, you know, telegraph. Those are all just critical things. And if you do that, um, it's the very, very rare incident where we have a conflict with a bear. They, we're talking brown bears with grizzlies.
0: It's not that they see us food or even associate with food. They don't really want any part of you, but they see you as a threat because you've surprised them or you've walked up on a a saddle with cubs and they want to neutralize you as a threat. And the the quicker they realize that you're no longer a threat, meaning the things I mentioned about getting down and low and not moving, Mm -hmm. the sooner they'll
1: leave you alone. Yeah. There is nothing in there. uh, There's nothing in it for them to fight. Uh, It's interesting in the world of animals, um, they will go to great extremes to not make contact. You know, like if you have two elk, fighting or it's after a lot of sequential assessment that they will ultimately then lock antlers and wrestle same with bighorn sheep, same with bears. They have lots of things that they do, uh, you know, ways out of this uh, prior to conflict because inherently intrinsically innately, they understand that a fight can lead to severe body damage, which may then compromise their ability to go. They may win the, the battle, or what did we say, lose the war, or lose, you know, whatever, win the battle, lose the war sort of thing. And it's interesting. It really does play. Now I do want to make one other point is bears, grizzly bears don't see you as food until they do. Black bears don't see you as food until some of them do. Hmm. And that's the problem with our North American bears. Unlike sloth bears in India, which only eat uh, herbs and uh, ants and uh, those kind of things. They're not, carnivores these bears are carnivores and so i'll give you one little side note here in utah when i moved here uh people were treating bears i noticed some somewhat like 300 pound chipmunks and these are black bears they're black bears yes we have no grizzlies here as 300 pound chipmunks and um i said to them okay what we want to do and they so people get this kind of flip attitude like well you know it's just black bears they're not going to hurt me, you know, because black bears run away. I said, that's correct until they don't run away. And they go, what do you mean? I said, out of three or 4,000 we have here in Utah, just like humans. Yeah, I don't even know you, Richard, but I can, the odds on are you're a decent person who has respect for others and is kind and all this. Sort. I mean, that's, that's that's most humans. They're really good people. Thank you. But guess what? There's a few that just simply are not. You know, whole books and whole things are written about why that is, but they're not. Whether it was a childhood or genes or whatever, they're not. We have bears for no other reason will see you and think, I might be able to take this as prey, and they will do that. And black bears do that, brown bears do it. And so my point is, um, you have to be ready for that bear. So behaviorally, the vast majority of these black bears you know, I walk, I have, I've had them walk into my campsite. I shoo them off like big dogs, get yeah. out of here. If they don't shoo, then I've got a backup and I deal with them. And right. so that's, that's the problem. Yeah. Um, so we want, you know, we want people to understand that, uh, you know, these are wonderful animals, but they're potentially extremely dangerous. And for that reason, we can never let our guard down and go, well, it's just a black bear because I tell you what, um. One story in Alaska that I dealt with, a fellow named Stephen Routh, big, tough guy. He went out with his float plane on a weekend to camp on, you know, Alaska is a wonderful place. I lived there almost 30 years. And um, you get these rugged individuals. He had his wife in the plane. They landed on a little pond out in the middle of nowhere, a little, they call them kettle ponds, part of the glacial, you know, terrain, and hiked up the side of the, the you know, the, the gravel embankment, found a little campsite. He says, of a sudden he saw a flash of black in the brush and it startled him. And then he goes, Oh, thank heavens. It's just a little black bear. He said that thing before he could do anything else, it came tearing out of the brush, grabbed him, stood full height, which he said was face to face. So he says, looking back, it couldn't have been 110 pounds. I don't know where he got the 10, but he said, (laughs) I'm not that good. And uh, he goes, three things came into my mind simultaneously. Number one, As it grabbed him and pulled his face into his mouth, he says, I was shocked by the sheer strength that a hundred and something pound animal had. He says, I could not break its grip. Number two, I always carry a sheath knife on my right hip. Didn't have it. He says, I easily could have pulled that out and you know, started to level the playing field there. I didn't have it. And number three, he says, I'm a dead man if I don't do something. And so he took his left arm, shoved it into the bear's mouth and it chewed and chewed. And he kept struggling. Finally, his only play was to drag it and jump, you know, hurl himself back down the embankment into the lake. Both of them broke a free he swam off a uh, tremendous amount of blood. Now, this has been going on for a minute. He was, And his wife, uh, like so many people, whether male or female, she was pretty much paralyzed by the whole thing. And they're swimming, and it's just this horrific story. Well, oh. he gets to the plane, and the wife's got a canoe paddle, and she's banging on the float, and then he pulls himself out, and the bear stays off a bit. He was so badly mauled, he had to push the – you know emergency transponder on the aircraft's radio which sends a signal out to aircraft a commercial and pretty soon rescuers came he could not fly the plane but the the, the short part of the whole story size is no indicator of their ability nor is just their presence some of them in one last story and you can cut me off when you want
0: no keep it going we had
1: a we had a youth we actually had a fatality here in Utah um, right after i arrived A young boy, uh, 11 years old, was killed and consumed by a bear just a few miles from here on the mountain slopes. And immediately the media rushed to the game agency like every state has, the fishing game here. It's the Utah Division of Wildlife. Um, And they thrust their microphones into this poor guy's face who isn't a bear biologist, but, you know, a capable biologist. But that's not his thing. And they were saying, "Tell us why could this? Why did this happen?" And he kind of stammered. I mean, there's all these lights and cameras. He says, "Well, it, it's been really hot. I don't think it's been a good bear year. Um, this bear might have been sick. It it could have been undernourished." And that was kind of the interview. And I'm sitting there as a you know a bear guy saying, "And maybe." it's a predator you don't have to invoke some pathological reason some bears kill people and that's the bottom line and as it were that was the case they tracked that thing down for days they killed it very fit very healthy but the problem in that case was and this maybe is uh back to your viewers or your listeners I'm sorry the um is this bear had been feeding on garbage in you know sloppy campsites there yeah, it's very bad. So what what happens is, you know, if if you and I um, f- found food, let's say we're, we're hunter-gatherers, and it's reeked of peppermint. I mean, it's strong smell of peppermint. We're not really great with our noses, but let's say it had that. Next time we approach, let's say, a tent and we smell that peppermint, we go, food. I mean, it's a Pavlovian, right? Mm-hmm. So, So they rip into the tent and then... These are ambush predators, I mean, predators that are opportunists. So when a black bear falls into a tent on top of sleeping people, well, there's food, you know. What we don't understand as humans, when we throw garbage out, it's laced with human scent, something you and I can't smell, but they smell very well. And so now they're making an association between this, this human and a good meal, human, good meal, human, good meal. Then when they go to a tent, human, There's got to be a good meal. And so once that link is made, we've got a very dangerous animal. And hence the saying, a fed bear is a dead bear. You'll see it on bumper stickers and things. It's 100% correct. Yeah, Yeah, we're going to talk
0: about black bears um, here shortly and how you really kind of react differently to whether it's a grizzly or a a black bear. For example, in the case of your friend uh, with the float plane, you had to fight back and you – yeah, a, a grizzly, for example, you would not fight back. You would just eliminate yourself as a threat the best you can and hopefully it goes away. But I wanted to circle back um a couple things you said earlier about the um bear safety with grizzly and grizzly areas, about carrying a gun. Yeah. And which of the two would you prefer? A gun or bear spray?
1: Well, if I had to pick one or the other, um, I'd take bear spray for the simple reason. Well, there's a number of reasons and believe me, I don't get any kickback from those companies. Um, a few years ago, I published a paper on how bear spray can attract bears. <laughs> yeah. I was
0: going to get to that, too.
1: Yeah, yeah, that got me off their Christmas card list. They didn't really like me. In fact, I got threatened a couple of lawsuits. But you yeah. know what? When you publish in professional peer-reviewed journals, the lawsuits kind of go away. So that was kind of a knee-jerk thing on the part of some of these guys. But, you know, the fact of the matter is bear spray is easily carried it's uh quickly deployed i mean split second it is a extremely noxious chemical non-lethal unless you're an asthmatic or have a respiratory comp you know compromise somehow you you know every year in the us we have people die that are sprayed by with red pepper spray by police and it it, it results in a death if they're not given immediately emergency care but that's very few people. Um, so it's, let's say it's non-lethal. It causes involuntary closure of the eyes, uh, the constrictions of all the respiratory bronchi from the alveoli all the up, way up. And the the animal can't breathe. All of a sudden, instead of giving this human a problem, a hassle, they've got a problem on their own hands, paws, whatever. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's very easy to use downsides of bear spray are that, um, it uh, you need to deploy it at about 20 feet. Most people would love to deploy it at 200 yards, um, but at that distance, the bears are just living their life. There's not a threat. The other thing is uh, the wind plays a minor role, but it can play a role in it, um, in how effective it is in hitting the bear in the face, and it, it can't stop a chronic interaction. So let's say we're a couple people camping in the forest, And uh, we're hunters and we have uh, game meat uh, hanging, you know, as they do. Uh, Black bears are not going to go away. So you spray them and they go, oh, that hurt. That burned. I'm going off in the woods. And then they'll come back. Then they'll come back. Then they'll come back. And at that point, a gun's very nice because you just shoot them. Or else you um, have to pick camp up and leave. So that's, that's one thing. Guns, on the other hand, you know, I mean, they're very effective. They've saved many a life. But uh, by and large, the army of gun toters are not trained properly in how to use this. I mean, I've talked to many people. Yeah, I go to the range all the time. I say, well, when the paper targets jump down, chase you around with threat of a mauling, and you can still hit them cleanly, now I think you're trained. So just be clear on that, that that sort of chaotic, rapidly unfolding situation, combat shooting is quite different than what maybe you'd encounter at a range. So just be aware of that. And I think, um, yes, so my preference for most people is bear spray. Also, one other very important aspect, when we're pulling the trigger on a non-lethal, we'll do that without hesitation. When it's lethal, we hesitate. The bears are not hesitating. That's gotten a lot of people in trouble. Mm-hmm. uh, for a range of problems, you know, it could be all the way from, oh, I don't want to kill a bear to, I don't want to skin a bear, which in places like Alaska, you shoot it, you skin it, you pack it out. I mean, that's not exactly on the agenda for most people's hikes, especially no. if you're, they don't care a fishing game, if you're 10 miles in, you skin it, you shoot it, you pack it out or you're paying $3,000 in fines. So it's that reluctance to use the deterrent, which is a firearm, that's led to a lot of people getting mauled that had a gun in their hands that just were reluctant to pull the trigger.
0: Two comments. Um, yeah. you said a uh, bear spray at 20 feet. Yeah. I've heard a lot closer. I guess you, if, if a bear is charging you, you would have to have nerves of steel, obviously to wait until, you know, six to 10 feet, but 20 feet is enough.
1: Uh, they advertise on the cans, 10 meters. So we're talking okay. 30 feet. Okay. Um, what it does, when it comes out of the can's nozzle, it's going about 70 miles an hour. However, that building cloud, you know, is interacting with the atmospheric molecules. It's slowing down. So you're pushing, pushing with force behind that. And as you deploy, a, a, a can, typical off-the-shelf can is seven seconds of, of uh, push. And it, it'll get out there 30 feet. But it's going to take a can to get it that far. The other thing I did do research on, which was with respect to pullers, um, we you know we're alarmed. I spend time in polar bear country, um, alarmed that people aren't carrying it up there. And looking back over the last, let's say, three years, and this is certainly not to you know victim blaming or disrespect the dead, but a good number of those incidents could have totally been stopped had the person just had bears just a $30 can of bear spray that would have stopped that and instead they ended up getting killed and so um i we 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 queried these northern peoples why why are you carrying this and they had three objections one is typical you know uh, of anybody there's nothing in this little bitty can that's going to stop a thousand pounds of predator number two was the wind will disable it and make it not useful and number three the cold will also render it less effective hmm. so my research was looking at all three of those aspects and we you know since published those results and basically it was a resounding um, no those are not good reasons it does work at extreme cold temperatures uh bears are turned away we had the highest percentage of effectiveness with polars over black and browns so almost 100 percent effective in stopping the bear And the wind can play a role, but it's another story. But the bottom line is, even with a 25-mile-an-hour crosswind, which is really a lot of wind, you could paint their face at two meters. Now, somebody goes, two meters? Well, that's a whole lot better than nothing at zero meters, so don't mock it. The other thing is, the vagaries of wind, you know, I mean, sure, it could be in your face, but it could be behind you. It could be a crosswind, so, you know, don't get too hung up on the very small probability that, you know, basically God hates you, the wind's in your face, it's frozen, you know, and the bear's just wanting a good meal. I mean, come on, you can do that. But we've got statistics that show that if you do those things, you've greatly increased your odds of getting out of a bear conflict. And and for and the, I don't think I answered your question. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh,
0: for the uninitiated and for the beginners, um, Yeah, The bear spray is to be used defensively, not preventively, okay? So you don't don't spray it around your tent or your campsite or or spray it on you. It's not a uh, a preventive type action. It's defensive. And in fact, like you mentioned, bears are actually attracted to the bear spray residue.
1: Yep. They like it. Well, in fact, one of the more interesting interviews I had was with Timothy Treadwell, the Malibu surfer, hippie dude turned bear lover that ended up uh, being killed and consumed along with his girlfriend on the coast of Katmai. Um, I was talking to Timothy one day. He was doing all of that in the same area I was doing my research. He was a very likable guy. I like Timothy. Gentle person, you know. Mm-hmm. Um Me a little but- naive. Uh, Yes. I think to be fair, naive would be a nice way to put it. Um, I mean, he's trying to do right things anyway. I'm not here to defend him. He did a lot of wrong things. But the point is, Timothy, I asked him about that and he goes, yeah, I sprayed it in a circle around my tent (laughs) and I woke up in the early morning with a bear literally on top of me rolling and rubbing. (laughs) And he said, he said he had to tell the bear, get off of me. He shoves it off and crawls out of his tent. But I have a lot, and I published a paper on that, I have a lot of anecdotal observations of people doing this, thinking it would be a repellent when it actually turned out to be quite the opposite. An attractive. With the hoped-for protection uh, becoming a very unwelcome attraction.
0: <laughs> and one other thing about the, um, like the gun versus the bear spray is that I read... Yeah that your chance of incurring a serious injury from a charging grizzly doubles when bullets are fired versus bear sprays used. that sound about right?
1: Interesting. I don't know if I pulled that out of there or not. Um, I had so many questions. That was a, you know, I looked at uh, almost 300 incidents, and I have double that now and uh, 400 and some people involved. Um, wounding a bear is generally not a good thing because they're very good at, okay, I'll see your one and raise you two. (laughs) Fine. You can give me that sting in my hip. I'll show you what a sting feels like. So I think that's probably correct. Um, I just don't have it on my, you know, in front of me right now, but yeah. So wounding is a worry. Missing is a worry. Killing them for some few people is a worry. Um, and all of that weighs in on people's minds when they've got a barrel pointed at a gun, uh, at a bear, um, so forth. Yeah. And then of course in any long gun, long guns did not perform as well as handguns, which shocked me a little, but we're talking hand to hand combat here. So when you have a three plus foot length piece of metal in your arm, that becomes very much a detriment to getting it into play bolt action i mean by the time you bring all the mechanics in, the bears on top of you whereas a handgun it's off the hip boom 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 they're shooting it or if they're knocked to the ground they still have it they can shoot the bear in the stomach and many of them have done that um not my idea of a a good time but it 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 has saved people now um you know on my federal work we would use bear spray we, we also, another thing that I love to use um, for people that, and this is a, another kind of a tip, there is a, um, if you, anywhere in the U.S., you have a, a you know, commercial or consumer, what do you call it, private vessel, whether it's a little John boat or a bigger vessel, the Coast Guard requires you to have, um, a, a, a you know, a bailing device and a signaling device and a horn and all this stuff, first aid kit. Um, well, one of those things are flares, aerial flares. Boy, they hate those things. And you can buy them. Bears basically. hate them. Oh, what's that? You said bears hate them. Oh, they got a problem with screaming fireballs. They do not like those. <laughs> I doesn't... mean, shock. Yeah. Yeah. So somebody said, I said, look, this thing's the size of like a a, a magic marker. Remember the old uh, markers? About that big. And you could buy a pack of three at Walmart. For 25 bucks. It's no doubt gone up like everything else. It's maybe 30 now. But but these things are waterproof. You can now, these aren't quickly deployable, but I've used them plenty of times in bear country where I'm walking over this big patch of ground and there's a grizzly, and all of a sudden it goes, oh, (laughs) and it starts coming my way. Like, oh, I've got something to play with. And it's like, I'm not gonna wait till that bear's 20 feet away to bear spray it. I can shoot a fire went across its bow at about a hundred feet. And somebody said, well, you don't aim at them. I said, I absolutely do. <laughs> I've never hit them, but, uh, it wouldn't hurt them. Uh, and then of course you get the one or two people go, well, that could start a fire. Let's see on my priorities today, avoid bear <laughs> mauling or avoid possible forest fire. I mean, really? You're going to say I'll take one for Smokey the Bear and get mauled? No. Shoot the bear and then we'll deal with the fire later. But they hate those things. So that Guess gives you, as a backcountry person, that gives you another longer range option. Plus, if everything else goes poorly for your day and you wrench an angle or you Yet, you know, somehow hurt. That's a wonderful thing to shoot skyward and use it for what it's, it goes 300 feet. Hmm. So I highly recommend those. Um, Sky Blazer is one of the companies, um, that kind of thing. Now, bear spray, Sky Blazers, those are illegal on aircraft. So I was going to mention, it's only a $10,000 fine, but.
0: You have to buy (laughs) it. If you're flying someplace, you have to buy it when you arrive. You can't take it with you or you can't take it home with you. you.
1: You can buy it or ship it. Now, I've done plenty of shipping because in a remote Alaska, I was going to villages, which are so far out there. But I just put it on a hazmat flight and sent it out, and it would be there, bear spray and flare. So,
0: there's no excuse. So, you're in a position now of a very rare situation, and I can't stress how rare it is, but a grizzly is charging you. Yeah. First, it could be a bluff charge. It could stop before they get to you. But let's say it doesn't. This bear is is bearing down on you, pardon the pun, bearing down on you. (laughs) What then? What does a person do?
1: Okay, so a couple of things prior to that I think are useful. If you're by yourself, you've set yourself in an unfortunate circumstance, you know, and I'm going to divert just a little bit if I might. This this gets to me. So we had a, a double fatality, triple fatality actually, two people and their dog. I mean, dog's not a human, but it it died in Banff back in when last was year. That Yeah, was it July, yeah, August. Well, it turns out a friend of mine here knew these people. Um, they were professors, and he's a professor here, and he knew them. And and so I, you know, we we see these things go up in the news. And are kind of distant observers. So I, I noticed there was hardly any data on it, just that two people and their dog were killed in a tent in Banff. And it went on and on. And, oh, they've been out there. They were 60 years old. They're like my age. And, uh, oh, my gosh, these people, of all people, should have never been killed. They knew what to do in bear country. And it went on and on, you know. And so finally, SiriusXM Canada called and said, could we do an interview? And I said, sure. I did not I don't know if I got two minutes or 20 minutes or who it is. So this uh female announcer gets on there, gender doesn't matter, but it was this nice lady, and she said she spelled it out there with this sort of clear anguish, like, oh my God, you know, they did everything. What do what do you have to say? Dr. Smith, I said, number one, I would never ever take a dog in bear country. Why? Why is <laughs> and that? she goes, and she goes dead silent, you know, and I said, she goes, why do you say that? I said, that's a wolf on a string. She goes, what does that mean? I said, they hate each other. I mean, if I wanted to flush every freaking bear out of the back country, I'd take a dog. Because it's going to run down the trail. They've got this exquisite nose. They love bears to chase and ha- harass. And bears love dogs. I couldn't think of a better way to do it. And she, and that, she was not planning on that. And I said, even worse, I'd lock them in my tent. And then when the dog smells the bear and goes uh, ballistic, you've got yourself like a WWE smackdown, and you're in the middle of it with this bear trying to kill this dog. I said, it's horrific. I would never do that, ever. Hmm. And there's this evolutionary history these two species have that is just, I mean, let me tell you, packs of wolves Find a mom and cubs, they cut the cubs off, they kill them, they run the mother off. I've I've, done, I've written papers about this. Um, back and forth, there's this just enmity between these two species. You want to walk in bear country with one of those? No way. And we've looked at this in detail. Uh, Stephen Herrero looked at a sampling of 100 only black bear attacks. And a fellow from Canada named Hank Histrinko, the two of them studied this. 75% of those black bears involved were females with cubs. There you go. Why? Because they are the ones that have the most to lose in a bear-dog-slash-wolf interaction. Never take a dog in bear country. I would never do it, and unless unless I wanted some data on them, what they're going to do, <laughs> but but so it's a very bad idea. Now coming full circle here, so you know we make decisions whether wittingly or otherwise that predispose us to risk. So as much as I don't know these people in that, oh, they made a terrible choice to do that. Secondly, and I'm going down a path you didn't direct me, but I'll finish here in a second. That's okay. I do never let bears touch my tent and people go, well, what do you do? Well, I don't let them touch my tent. And they said, what are you saying? I said, I, let me make it simple for you. I do not like, let 400 pound four legged hairy creatures determine the fate of my future. If you're in a tent and the first time you're aware a bear is there, it's at your, the wall of the tent, you're screwed. You have no, Recourse. Why? Because you're you're wrapped in layers of nylon and you you know that's they go, what do you do? Well, number one, if I'm camping and it's me and my wife, and we don't want to carry any of a number of other options, we camp in two tents, two small tents. Because if the bear approaches my tent, she can come out, get the bear spray, the flashlight, deal with the bear. I can come out, but two of you in one tent, I mean, that's not safe. Number two. I would either, at the very least, put up a small. There's these are available online called critter getters. They're infrared, passive infrared. They're they're putting out a signal uh, about forty feet, hundred degree angle. Anything breaks that, it puts out an ear splitting, hundred thirty decibel shriek. I think in many instances it actually hazes the bear away, frightens the heck out of them. But more importantly, you're up, you're out of your tent, and you're ready to deal with that animal. Somebody goes, well, it'll be going off all night. This isn't the Serengeti around here. I mean, let's face it. Jim Bridger said of the Yellowstone Plateau, uh, uh, you know, a bird would have to pack a lunch to get across that thing. There's not a lot of wildlife in there. It's beautiful. I love it. But it's not like animals parading down the trail (laughs) like Mm -hmm. a circus. It isn't going to go off very much. Number three, I would, in real bear country, when I'm there in the remote and the odds are, you know, really high here. Like, not a campground in Yellowstone, but we're just talking in rough country where I'm out there by myself. I put a wire around my camp, and uh, I they make device a little bigger than a deck of cards. Two AA batteries puts out 9,000 volts. Bears got a real problem with 9,000 volts. They, uh, involuntary muscle spasms, they hit the ground. I've waked up more times than I can tell you hearing... <laughs> And that's when they hit the wire and they, oh yeah, they don't. And somebody goes, well, what if they charge forward? Well, they're not stupid. They know they just got their nose electrocuted. They're not going to go forward. And they veritably rip a hole through the landscape trying to get away. Uh, we published a paper on this. We did 5,500 user nights in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem using electric fences. We only had three failures and those were all human related where they either didn't turn it on, the unit was broken, or they didn't ground it properly. I can set one of those up in 20 minutes and let me tell you, I sleep really good. The other thing is if I'm going to set up some sort of base camp, I don't want to come back at six in the evening for dinner and the whole place has been laid to waste because some bear asks questions with its paws and claws what's this, what's this? That's what 's this what 's this that 's what they 're doing they don 't leave much left after a q and a session. What are you going to do and i 've got tens, if not hundreds, of incidents where people did that. They came back, camps trash. They had to leave now clear full circle now uh, we 've done everything that we shouldn 't have done, or after we 've done all we can we 've got a bear charging i as soon as I see a bear. I tell my fellow hikers, we're going to go with the right thing to do here. Um, I've got somebody else with me. I say, there's a bear. We immediately stand shoulders, shoulder so it can see there's more than one person simultaneously ready our deterrence, which is our bear spray. And we've already talked among ourselves. As soon as that thing hits 30 feet and it's coming, we're unloading on it. You're not going to have a problem. So that's what you do. Now, if it was me one-on-one and for some reason, and this has happened, the momentum of the charge carried the bear into the person. We had three of those in the last paper I wrote. Uh, the people basically got run over. Not fun, but their injuries were limited to, well, what you get when a four or 500 pound creature hits you and keeps running. Not pleasant, but the bear did not stick around them, all of them. If by chance you were then... Thrown to the ground, the bear sprayer, you you know, if you didn't have it. And let me tell you a little side story here. This is funny. I had a lady one time. She was just determined to say, but what if I don't have bear spray? I said, well, you've been to my lecture now. You're going to have it. But what if I don't? And I said, well, do. No, you don't get me. I don't have bear spray. What do I do? I said, ma'am, let's just back up. That's like saying, I refuse to wear a seat belt. What is the best way to be ejected through the windshield in an accident with your hands over your face? I mean, it's a stupid question. Don't do that. And I said, however, to give you a little credence here, not being just a hassler, let's say you're knocked to the ground and your bear spray is not there. You're going to roll over face down. You're going to it, by all means, if you have a day pack, you're gonna leave that thing on because if the bear attacks, which it will maybe out of fury, bite the back, the pack's gonna take the fury of it, and you're gonna just be as quiet and still as you can in almost every one of those cases, the bear leaves so that's that's that, but I would say in the hierarchy of bear avoid uh, bear you know survival, number one, avoid these encounters by doing the right thing, you know making noise, hiking as a group. Uh, If after all of that has failed, you now have a bear that's engaging with you. You want to diffuse that. And let's talk about that for a second. Let's hear it. I'm at odds with the state of Alaska. I'm taking all of those people on. Um, Well, what they say is stand your ground. They even have a beautifully drawn poster. I love it. I've got one on my wall because it's pretty, but it's all wrong. And it says... If the bear is curious, stand your ground. If the bear is predatory, head down, looking at you. It clearly knows you're there. It's not surprised. Stand your ground. If the bear is, uh, you know, attracted to food that you have, stand your ground. Are you kidding me? There is no way I would stand my ground ever with these things. Two reasons, and I'll give them to you. Number one, it could be a mom and cubs. You may not see the cubs. She may have. They may just be around the corner of the trail. There's only one thing that female wants is you out of there. If you stand there, you're just threatening her. Get out of there. Don't run. As a group, work your way out of there. Back down, go down the trail. If the bear follows, gets within 20 feet, 30 feet, spray them. Most times they won't. Number two, it could be, and you'll never know, that just over the log, out of sight, there's a bison carcass, an elk carcass, there's a food cache their only one thing they want is you to get out of their way in their world. Those things that approach mom and cubs are trying to kill the cubs in a cash carcass. Those things that approach, are going to take that food away. They are not going to give it up. So you do not stand your ground, move decisively away from that bear. And I don't, if you're a single person, same thing, hold your slowly, Hold yes, yeah, slowly, but decisively, um, can running trigger it? Oh yeah, we did those numbers. Um, Unless you're an Olympic runner, and even that it wouldn't help you with most bears. They they'll they'll, they'll pursue blacks blacks as well. Um, they'll pursue. So here's an animal that um, typically, you know, let's say we have a surprise encounter with a black bear and you start running, they'll give chase. Just like oh game on, let's do this. <laughs> so so anyway, I think I've kind of weaved and bobbed no, around. No, that was that was questions. perfect. That was perfect. Well, hopefully I answered them.
0: How do grizzlies differ from brown bears? If at all,
1: no, it's just an artificial designation in uh, coastal areas to say we have an animal here. Well, it is simple to say that they're up to twice the size, and that's because of the nutrition they get off coastal areas. Interior bears are, um, you know, so let's say Denali, big grizzly, 600 pounds, coastal cat, my big grizzly, 1200 pounds. Right. Uh, Denali, big female, 250, coastal 450. Um, Now, an interesting other way they do differ, and this is the reason I got into this, I instantly got a job in April May of 1992 at Katmai. What do you know? I go out to Brooks Camp, one of the premier bear brown bear viewing places in the world. Been there many times. Yep. Oh, wonderful place. And all of a sudden, everybody's going, oh, what do we do? You're the bear guy. Yeah, for about two weeks, I'm the bear guy. (laughs) (laughs) I said, look, uh, I'm studying as fast as I can. They had me do the bear safety training. It's like, if they only knew, I could tell you mountain sheep safety training and caribou safety training, but bear safety training. So I did what academics do. You dive into the books, you draw on resources and all that sort of thing. But what got me was people go, they asked a question, what is going on with these bears? How come they're not doing anything? And yet, you know, and, and yet, in, so Katmai's policy is, you would know this, do not intentionally approach closer than 50 yards to any bear. And on females, 100. Which is really close for grizzly. That's pretty damn close. <laughs> and, and in Denali, guess what? Is it that Denali goes, no, we love these visitors. Don't approach closer than 400 yards. That's a quarter mile. And so I go, okay, so now we're seeing policy that's been based on experience in the field. What I did was, this is going to be interesting to you, I plotted bear attacks in Alaska across the entire state. So it took me a little while. I worked on it for a number of years. Where you have the highest density of bears, which are coastal Alaska, you have the least number of incidents, and you have very few to no fatalities. Until Tread, Treadwell got killed in, in Katmai, him and his girlfriend, which was in an extraordinarily poor choice where they were. I mean, they were there. It was intentional, but, he, you know, he didn't want to get but killed. But he was but there
0: late in the season. Just,
1: you know, with these bears, um, you know, they're pretty accommodating, but. In the dark, in a rainstorm, you're out there screaming at it. It might just say, That's enough of this and, and charge. And that's what it did. So, anyway, full circle here. um I'm talking about tread. What was I telling you about? No,
0: no, behaviorally, there is a big difference between the coastal brown bears and the interior grizzly.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's exactly right. So I plotted it. The more bears, oh, get this Kodiak Island's never had a bear fatality. One of the highest densities in the world. They've never had a bear inflicted fatality. Katmai until Treadwell, never a bear inflicted. You know, McNeil River, never. So I looked at that and all of a sudden I realized what the issue is. When the densities go way up, they go way up because there's tons of food. And when there's tons of food, there's no reason to fight. I mean, fighting is not good. There's no reason. So when you go to Brooks Camp, you'll watch those bears. Yeah, they're looking at people, but for every look at a person, there's ten looks at other bears. That's who they're concerned about is other bears, not not people. So I think we kind of get a pass. Um, so they lower so their personal space is just about the reach of a paw. And if you've been to Brooks, oh my gosh, you're there two or three days, you're within six feet of a big bear because they're everywhere. Come. You can't help I can't them. My- they don't do anything.
0: Six feet, 10 feet. Yeah. As long as you don't make any sudden moves, they'll walk right by you. And it's
1: the same thing for black bears. Guess where all the, the black bear fatalities are? Interior Alaska, not coastal. So, yep. So, Ann Ann Creek, Pack Creek, and on so forth, where you have black bear viewing. No, they don't do anything with people. And uh, so, my point is, you have this sort of behavioral... Uh, you know, uh, expression as well as a function of, of resources. So let's put it in Denali. You're hiking in Denali. You come over a ridge, there's a bear 400 meters. What experience shows is at 400 meters, that's, you know, quarter mile, that bear's head comes up and it's looking at you. And as you keep moving, it's focused on you. I think behavior evolutionarily, that's a potential threat to very sparse resource. In Katmai, mm-hmm. they couldn't care less. They'll look nope. up, you know, I've been... You know, I mean, I, I one day I was walking back to camp and I had a about a four-year-old, five-year-old. You know, it was right behind me. Like, I didn't have any bear spray. It was one of those lapses in, in um you know, in protocol. And all of a sudden I go, God, what am I doing? And this bear just walked. And somebody said, look, you're out there walking your dog. I said, well, I definitely was. He was like six feet behind me for a mile. And this guy was just, I don't know what this two-legged thing is. So when I got to what they call Middle Creek, we normally strip down, put our clothes over our head and then wade across because it's just deep. I just walk straight in. <laughs> you know, and I walk straight across because it ain't like I'm gonna stop here and strip down for this bear, <laughs> you know, take the wrapper off the burrito. So I just walk straight into the creek and the bear just looked at me like, oh well, that's enough of that, and he turned around.
0: So there's a little saying as far as how do you react to a, a bear. If it's brown, lay down. If it's black, fight back. If it's white, good night.
1: No, that's not true. <laughs> well, okay. So people have asked me, I wouldn't want to be on a on a remote island with any of these, but if I had a chick, I'd chap, uh, if I had to pick, I'd go polar bear. Why? Because I'm not am not a seal. <laughs> you know, if if uh this is hard for people to wrap their minds around, but if you take bamboo away from a panda bear, they die. <laughs> I mean, they it's like you stupid panda bear, go eat something else. No. They eat bamboo. Guess what? Polar bears eat seals. They don't eat humans. Now, can they in some situations? They have, and it's very rare, very rare. Can they be predatory? Of course they can. Is it their innate thing? No, it's not. I've been around a lot of polar bears. Get this. Here you go. In Russia, my counterparts there, you know how they capture polar bear mothers and cubs? They go in the den and they jab stick them they use a pole with a syringe on the end same thing we do with black bears you know now if you try that on a grizzly you're dead um you can't get near the den in fact many people have been killed walking by dens in february you know this right. time of year it so they're different behaviorally they're like black bears dangerous of course is it are they like big cats on the serengeti no they do not see people as food see
0: i had that completely backwards everybody if i had everybody's a choice done. i think i would take a black bear over a polar bear polar bear has always been regarded no. as like the most dangerous of the three
1: well and then you know i know uh, and people go well you don't have very i mean we've got nine deaths in north america in 150 years they need a new job description <laughs> if it's stalk and kill people I mean, you guys are slackers. You need to get on with it. Are they dangerous? Of course they are. I'm not saying go up there and kick them in the rear, but is it, like I said, in, in Africa, big cats, you're on the list. You get out of that Savari Jeep. Mm-hmm. You are now part of the polar bears. Oh, no. Uh-huh. You and I could go arm in arm up uh, and watch polar bears in Churchill. They just be just like uh, brown bears at McNeil. Just, they look at you, they just walk on. That's not what we're talking about with. Um, with um, big cats. So yeah, I, I, I don't think that's correct. But there was something else you said prior to that. Hmm. Oh, li- okay. So people go about the lie down thing. Well, it's like if I was flying an F-22, you know, jet worth tens of millions, and I get a, a flashing light on the dashboard that says low uh, fuel. I don't reach down and pull the ejection thing. I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, you're going to lose your place. Number one, ejection is very dangerous. You might get killed. but Or maybe malfunctioning, you know, some peto tube warming device. You don't eject. Okay, so is ejection in a jet? It's good to have it. In a similar way, laying down as an extremely last option is good to know. It is the very last thing i would do and that would be after many many failures in front of that so what am i talking about failure one i went in the woods like this guy you started the conversation with i don't have any bear spray it's before dawn i'm by myself i've just made several bad choices mm-hmm. number two and now i've encountered a bear because i wasn't making noise another bad choice number three you know we go down the list and finally everything has gone south Now, yeah, you might want to lay down because you can't outrun it, you can't outclimb it. You're kind of screwed, but it isn't like I did everything right. And I think that's the message to get out there. And I will tell one more story. I spent six months in Europe with brown bear biologists last year at this time. It was probably just a, a wonderful, wonderful time my wife and I had. I show up in Italy. I guess... These bear maulings—they follow me. So I show up in Italy. They've never had an incident. They had a guy killed, right? You know, right when I, right before I get there. So now, what kind of bears? Do they have in Italy? Well, in the Trentino region, about a hundred. In the Abruzzi National Park, west east of Rome, they have about seventy. So the European uh, brown? Oh, geez, they got a lot of grizzlies over there. Oh. It, Italy's trying to restore them. Yeah, Romania is what five or six thousand. There's, uh, there's a lot of bears uh Brown bears, grizzlies. So anyway, so people are—it's like that scene in the movie Track with all the villagers with their pitchforks and burning torches. Yeah, we want—you know—they're—they're—they're they're, they're descending on the forestry department. We want these monsters off of our mountains. You know, this is un—you know—blah blah blah. You know, and and so now I'm in there. I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't represent anybody, so I can just shoot my mouth off with impunity (laughs) so they put me in a public meeting and one of the things i point out is look in 10 years you guys have had four incidents that's it three of them were unfortunate but nobody was hurt badly just a swat from a mom and cubs you know in the fourth one a guy died that's horrific it's you know it's terrible he did everything you're never to do he's jogging all by himself At dusk, no deterrence, in bear country. Come on. I mean, you can get away with that. But when it doesn't work, don't be blaming the bears. It was a mom and cubs. So I'm saying, okay, that's tragic. Let's just turn around for a second. In the same 10-year period, you've had 58 of your fellow Italians killed by domestic dogs. And several of them were consumed. And 75% of that were pit bulls. Where's the outrage? What do you, I mean really where's the outrage these things are in your house we're talking about bears up in the dolomites in the trentino region where 99% of you don't even go what are you talking about here so let's get this in perspective i think it's 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 just not fair it's not a fair fight and I it's agree. because predators are just so much in our psyche that people just can't let it go but come on we had 47,000 reported shopping cart accidents in the U.S. last year with several deaths. Are we marching on the city hall to get rid of these damn things? No. So, come on. You guys are really bad risk evaluators.
0: I agree. And then I got I to leave.
1: Then I got to leave. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I would think that human-bear interaction and uh, possibly confrontation are only going to increase in frequency over time.
1: I think that's fair, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Can bears and humans inhabit and share the same territory
1: over the future, long term? We need these animals. They're not just out there. You know, and, and uh, a, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Clara Bartoni in Italy, she decided, okay, let's let's, let's go about this a different way. So she did. She did quizzes or uh, you know questionnaires with Italians. Do you like berries? Do you like lots of berries to pick? Fewer berries, and then almost no berries. Well, that's a no-brainer. Do you like getting stung by wasps? <laughs> you know, lots of wasps, fewer wasps, or or very few wasps. That's a no-brainer. Do you like hiking in a forest that's diversified with lots of different types of plants and animals, or depopulate, or even worse? Every answer is brown bears brown bears brown bears if you want those things you need bears because they're fundamental agents in ecosystems that engineer that ecosystem in ways that benefit us so we have to get away from the recreation or it's you know it's 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 a natural part we need people to understand we get a lot from these animals now, is it too much to ask that you make a few concessions in order to get along with them? Because they're not really out there looking for trouble, but you got to do the things I've talked about.
0: Absolutely. I agree 100%. I know you need to get out of here, but I really do appreciate it. It's oh, been good. a fascinating conversation.
1: As long as you don't Google fact check any of this, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> However, fortunately, my name will come up on all this. So.
0: I noticed. Yeah, yeah. Thank you again. Um, we may have to do this again sometime.
1: Yeah, you're anytime, Rich. It's been my pleasure.
0: Bye. You've been listening to Beyond the Lens with me, Richard Burnaby. Thanks to Dr. Smith for taking the time to join me in this fascinating and entertaining conversation. And thanks to you, of course, for listening. You can tweet me at BurnabyPhoto with any comments or feedback. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, a rating on Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. I'd love to hear what you think about the show and what you'd like to see from Beyond the Lens in the future. You can sign up to receive an email when a new episode drops at our website, beyondthelens.fm. Here's to truth, adventure, and passion. See you next time.